Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. As I heard a story the other day that I'd really like to share with you. I mean, it concerns our study today, and it goes something like this. Maybe you've heard it, but uh, it, it says this. Many years ago, a man on staff with Chuck Swindell got sexually involved with, his secretary, with the secretary. He basically fell morally and had an adulterous affair with his secretary. Well, the church chose not to handle it in a public way, but rather deal with it privately. They called the senior leadership one day, exposed the man privately, was asked to kind of keep it quiet and kind of went on their way. But an interesting fact arose out of that story. The next year, Chuck Swindoll says, 17 marriages of the senior leadership people in the church had broke up. You go, wow. You go, why? Well, I think that's why Paul made it clear, guys, that when a leader sins, he or she needs to be publicly rebuked so that others will be warned for that same sin. Now, if you're taking notes, guys, in the context of Matthew 18, it's actually called church discipline. Now, a lot of times we don't talk about that, but it's really church discipline. A lot of churches don't even actually abide by this anymore. But if we're going to understand what Matthew 18 was all talking about, guys, we need to understand it in the context. So the first question we ask is, what is church discipline? What is church? Why don't we use it? Well, what is it? Well, here it is. Church discipline, guys, is the practice of censoring church members when they are perceived to have sinned in hope that the offender will repent and be reconciled back to God in the church. It's also intended to protect the other church members from the influence of sin. You go, well, can you just kind of define that? Yeah, basically, church discipline is when somebody is out there who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ, and they're sinning, they're doing, and they're publicly going, I don't care. The church, guys, the church is supposed to exercise church discipline in order to bring that person back to Christ. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about it this way. It's difficult to imagine, guys, what it would be like if we lived in a society where citizens could flaunt the rules and absolutely with no consequences that would follow. You go like, like no fines or no imprisonment. I mean, think about this. You know, it's really simple, right? You're driving, the speed limit says what? 65 miles per hour, and you go, hey, listen, I think I'm going to do 90 because I live in a society that has no rules. I live in a society that, uh, that listen, that there's a policeman, and I'll just wave at him doing 90. Why? Because there's no fines, there's no tickets, there's no imprisonment. There's nothing. You go, Ben, all society would break down. That's exactly it. Or, or, or let's take it a little bit closer to home. Could you imagine a home environment, church, where children are allowed to do whatever they please with Utterly no discipline. That would be chaos, church. And it would reign in either of these instances. Yet, there are countless congregations that belong to Jesus Christ across the land where little, if any, discipline of the wayward is ever enacted. It's a wonder that our family is weaker today than it's ever been in decades. Okay, 
So church discipline, guys, in a broad sense, involves everything from the most basic instructions of the newborn child of God, how what he receives from the time his conversion onward, all the way to radical surgery, sometimes required in the withholding of fellowship. You go, Pastor, how's that? Say that again. Here it is, guys. There are times, there are times in church when... Someone who calls themselves, and I'm going to use this term, a follower of Jesus, okay? There are a lot of people who label themselves as Christians, but we're going to say this is a follower of Jesus. This is somebody who's been walking with Jesus, been serving Jesus, been knows God, hears the Holy Spirit, and you'll have those times, church, listen, when all of a sudden, this follower of Jesus will openly sin with no conviction. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do this. And what will happen is they'll be warned, they'll come be warned about it and say, hey, 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 come here, come here, listen, listen, here's what you're doing. You're doing this, 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 and it's wrong, and, and they'll be openly warned, but here's their reaction. Their reaction will be no intent to repent. And they're basically going, are you kidding me? I'm fine. That's good. And here's the reaction we'll get most of the time, church. You'll get somebody go, listen, me and God got this worked out, it's okay, don't worry about it. Me and God got it worked out. Listen, I can live my lifestyle. I can do what I want to do and they have no intent to repent and they will continue in a lifestyle of sin. You guys tracking with me? That's exactly what happens. Yet the Bible says that there are times when the church will come alongside and they will actually, the term we use is excommunicate them. We will say, listen, you are no longer welcome in our fellowship, but not in a mean way and going, hey, you can't come here. Because here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is they go, fine, I'll go find another church. There's 500 more here. But here's the problem. The problem, that's not the intent. The intent is we go, hey, listen, listen, you're sinning. And, and listen, it's just, I want to get an effort. This is an effort to get your attention. This is an effort for you to repent and be reconciled back into the fold. That's what church discipline is all about. So as we approach, guys, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, the key to remember is this. Church discipline to bring the sinner back to God. Church discipline to bring the sinner back to God. Why? Now remember, church, listen. A verse taken out of context, it becomes a pretext, and you can make it say anything you want it to say. And unfortunately, that's what's happened with Matthew 18, verse 20. We've stepped aside of the context We've pulled this great verse out and we said, hey, that's an awesome verse. I'm going to take it and put it in my pocket because it's amazing. But it's like, no, 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 no. What's the context behind it? You've heard me say this a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand more. Guys, you all remember the what? The 2020 rule, right? Whenever you see a verse and somebody's preaching on one verse, we have to read 20 verses before it, 20 verses after it, so you can get the context. The context. Could you imagine if you went to a movie, and the movie started at 9 o'clock, right? And I mean, and that's after the previews. I mean, it literally starts at 9, right? Because they give you like 25 minutes of previews. But let's just say it starts at 9, and you're like, hey, we got to get to the movie. It starts at 9. Well, it actually starts at, at uh, 8.40, but we're going to get there at 9. And you get there at 9.30, and you sit there for five minutes, and then you leave. Will you get the full gist of what the movie is? You won't. You'll be like, I don't understand. What was that lady doing jumping out of the plane? And I was just like, I mean, are you kidding me, right? That's exactly what we do here. And so again, think about it that way. So as we come, this is what they've done. 
to Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Now, let's read together and then discuss how people will misuse this verse. You guys ready? Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says this. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, listen, I love that verse. That's a great verse alone, is it not? Why? Here's what God is saying. He's saying, if we take this verse alone, listen, when two or three are gathered, Jesus is there. Amen. And you're like, yeah, that's not what it means, though. Let's break it down. I mean, this is, I mean, think about it. This seems to promise, church, that when two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, he's right there. He's right there. So we could honestly say by taking this verse today, we can say, listen, there's three or four of us today. There's a little bit more today. Jesus is here. <gasps> I wonder where he's at. Maybe he's in the front row. Hey, Jesus, how you doing? Right, that's the whole, that's the whole point of it. But, but listen, let's, let's break it down. Why? Because what happens is when we misquote it or misunderstand it, here's what we do. This verse is often used as an encouragement that God is going to be with us in tough circumstances. Can I just stop for just a moment? Can I just stop for just a moment? When we look at the verses that we've covered so far, Philippians, right, and Jeremiah, and Romans, aren't those all verses kind of trying to help us of tough times, right? Everybody takes them out of context. Why? Well, let me let you in a little secret. Life is tough. And so we're looking for something to hold on to, like some foundation, just one verse that says, please help. Well, it's the same thing here. It's like, listen, you're in a tough situation. But listen, we need the whole word of God, the whole word of God. (sighs) This is a great verse for encouragement. A lot of people will say, and here's all you need. You ready? All you need is two or three people in a prayer group and you're set. In fact, guys, you don't even have to say the full verse. Just start out with, where two or three are gathered, right? And the other church members will shake their head, amen. You guys know what I'm talking about? This is, that's kind of what it is. But let's take a moment, guys, and let's tackle just a little bit how it's misused in everyday life, okay? In everyday Christian's life, let me give you two examples. The first example I found on the internet, and it goes something like this. It's a story where he says, not long ago... I attended a church, and the pastor called on someone to pray, and the gentleman said, Heavenly Father, your word tells us that where two or more are gathered in your name, you are in the midst of them. So we praise you, and we ask you to meet with us as we have gathered to hear from your word. Right? That's the prayer. See, in our church culture, Many pastors, church members, misuse this verse of Scripture in the following ways. You ready? Number one, many people quote this, this text as a promise that where two or more are gathered in his name, that God is in their presence. Number two, almost always this verse is quoted without any reference to the immediate context. This is a bad practice that often leads many people to false interpretations. Number three, many times this verse is referenced in small group Bible studies or even Sunday school class settings. And again, this is completely ignores the context or the purpose of the text. Now you go, Ben, why is that so important? Because like, dude, I love that verse, right? We're two or more. That, I mean, I want God there. But if we don't reference the text, here's what happens, guys. When we take these verses, 
when we take these verses and we put them in our pockets as promises, and then all of a sudden we, we, we're in, we find ourselves in a mess, we find ourselves in, in one of life's circumstances, we're going to pull out our promise, we're going to stand upon the promise. God, were you, listen God, I know that you're here. When two or more are gathered, and let's just say you don't feel the presence of God, here's what happens. We tend to throw everything out and go, well, God just abandoned me. I don't understand that. When we take a, when we take a verse like, like, for example, when you take a verse like, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from that, and yet you're sitting here going, but I've got a prodigal son, I've got a prodigal daughter. They're not, they're not walking with God. God, your word promises, and if I can't trust your word there, help me church, then I can't trust your word ever. That's why context is important. That's why expositional teaching is so important. Listen, we love the rah-rahs and we love the sermons and we love those fiery sermons where pastors get up here and they'll stop and we get excited and that's amen. But listen, we need foundation. We need the word of God. We need to hold on tight. Why? Well, just like the West Texas wind, man, life is going to blow and throw some things our way. And so again, we go, okay, I need context. I need context. So I can't just quote that verse. No, you can't quote that verse. Let me give you the second way that it was used. Uh, Many years ago, back when we were living in New Mexico... Uh, I was headed to the doctor for a checkup, you know, uh, you know, some just kind of a physical and some other things were kind of wrong. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, that explains it. That's why you're like, no, stop. So into the doctor and he was a Christian doctor. Okay. He's a Christian doctor. And so you normally go in, say, hi, I have an appointment. And he says, okay. Then you sit there reading magazines. Then all of a sudden they say, oh, say, you know, they call your name. It's like winning the lottery. You're like, yes, I'm in, right? And so you go to the, go to the little room and then you sit there. I don't know what you guys do, but I look in the drawers. Huh? You're waiting on him, right? You're just like, what's in here? Some of you play with the little rubber gloves. But anyway, it has nothing to do with the story. But here's the point, okay? Here's the point. Listen, I'm sitting there. Doctor comes in. I know he's a believer. He knows I'm a believer. And so he sits there, and he goes, the first thing he tells me is this, guys. He says, and I'll never forget it, right? I'll never forget it. He'll say this. He says, I'm here in Jesus' name. Are you? Which is cool, right? If you're a believer, you're like, yeah, I'm here in Jesus' name. Actually, I wasn't really in Jesus' name. I was just there getting a checkup. So I didn't really go, hey, Jesus, I'm in your name. But I got where he was going. You guys know what I'm talking about? I understood the context. Here's what he was saying. Before he was going to examine me, he and I were going to be present in Jesus' name. So, of course, Jesus would be in the examination room. Why? Because verse 20 says... Or where two or three are gathered, guess what? Where two or three are gathered, in my name, I am in the midst. So, so two examples. You know, we can use it as a prayer meeting. Brother Joe, we're going to pray. We're two or more. We, can eat, well, we can't because we need Josh over here, whatever it might be, whatever it might be. Or we can take it in, in, in everyday circumstances. We can go, hey, listen, I went to the doctor. He was a Christian. He said, and are you here in Jesus' name? And I said, I think so. Are you? Yes. Well, we're two, two or more. And we pulled it out of context. Now, church, again, I'm going to say this, okay? When we take a verse out of context, it becomes a 
and then we can make it say whatever we want it to say, right? We can take it. Think about this verse. We're a very popular verse, one that you guys should memorize. Easy. It's an easy verse to memorize. You ready? Do you remember the verse that says Jesus wept? You can memorize that verse, right? I know that verse. What is it? My memory verse. Jesus wept. Could we not take that verse out of context and make it say whatever we want it to say? Well, because Jesus wept. I'm weeping right now. And I'm weeping with my tears falling. You know, I mean, we can just take it and just run with it, but that's not the context. All right. So in order to understand the verses, we need to do some work, church. And we need to teach it in the context. I want you to picture Matthew, the tax collector, sitting there, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, getting the anointing from God, writing this down. What was the whole purpose behind it, okay? What was the whole purpose? So we need to understand. Now, in order to do that, we have to go back to verse 15. Matthew 18 is broken up into several sections, but here's where we're going to pick it up, and let's explain it in the text. Okay, now listen, church, listen. Before we start jumping in, we should never quote this verse to mean that if we're gathered together in Jesus' name for worship, even if only two people show up, that we have the promise that he is with us. Listen, if you're a uh, note taker or you don't mind writing in your Bible, you could write, this is not a promise. This is not a promise. Because I've got a question for you. What if, what if you were worshiping alone on a Saturday morning in your backyard? What if you're just worshiping God? Are you saying that he's not there? I mean, I think if I was going to take this as a promise, I would say, if one or more is gathered in Jesus' name, he's here. Right? Because, I mean, I'm going to be alone. I'm in my backyard. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. God's not with you. What? And we, what do we do? We get on our phone, right? Start trying to figure out somebody. Hey, hey, Soph, can you come over to my house? No, I know you're working. Right, but I'm, I need Jesus here. What do you mean Jesus is with me? No, no, that's not the verse. The verse is we're two or more. I'm one, you're two. Uno, dos. You get it? Right? What's Soph going to do? He's going to hang up on me because he's going to go, you're really just not getting it. Okay? So, what does it really mean? Well, we understood that verse 20 is in light of what? Church discipline, right? And this is, a hard, this is a hard thing to teach, church discipline. But when it's taught with the love of God and used in the love of God, that's basically what this whole scripture is all about. So when we begin reading in verse 15 and read through verse 20, the entire paragraph, church, listen, is devoted to the subject of church discipline, church discipline. There is no reference anywhere in here to evangelistic crusade. There is no reference to a small group gathering, a small group Bible study, and there's no reference to a small church plant, okay? Hey, how many of you want to go plant a church? Or two or more. Jesus is going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. The point is clear. You ready? Let's slow down now. Let's slow down. Here's the point. When a sinful and rebellious brother or sister is pursued and confronted out of love in order to bring them to repentance. Although it will be a difficult moment of confrontation, we have, here it is, you ready? We have the promise of Christ's presence. When done properly, we'll have 
the promise of Christ's presence. So let's do some work, church. Picking it up in verse 15, let's break it down to really understand. Remember, Jesus is speaking these things, and he starts in verse 15, and Jesus says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. Wow. Did you catch that, church? Now, now let's break it down. Why? Because the first thing I see, Jesus is speaking, and he says, if your brother sins against you. Okay? So, in the context, we're going to just keep it what, what Jesus is saying. Listen, Jesus is not saying, hey, if you perceive your brother sinning, if you just sort of thought your brother was sinning, you go, what do you mean? <laughs> funny story, okay, funny story. Uh, many years back, many years back, Nathalie comes to me and she says, um, sweetie, our dog Samson, who's a big golden retriever, okay, says, needs to go to the vet. Do you mind taking him to the vet? I don't mind taking him to the vet. So I get Sam up in my little truck, the Green Hornet, and we're headed to the vet. A brother in the Lord saw me driving on 50th to the vet. You know what he saw? Me with a blonde? He saw me in the truck, and he saw a blonde person. And so I get a phone call. Hey. Who was with you in the truck? What? I saw a blonde lady. No, no, no. It was, right? So it's not a perceived sin. It was, what's going on? So he says, moreover, when your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Everybody say alone. Why? It's essential that we go to the offending brother alone, not as griping or gossiping to others. Pastor, you're stepping on my toes. I get it. You know why? Because we do this under the guise of sharing a prayer request or seeking counsel. Guys, he says, listen, when a brother goes and sins against you, go to him alone. You know how easy it is to go, hey, guess what? We need to pray for so-and-so. Why? What happened? You know, I heard he committed adultery with so-and-so. We just need to pray for him, don't you think? Well, tell me what happened. Well, here's what I heard. See, we do that, church. We're real good under the guise of what? Under the guise of prayer request or, or we'll go to somebody and say, you know, hey, listen, I, I need your wisdom. Well, okay, what's up? Well, this brother and that brother, said, and they were doing this, and, you know, I saw them at the tech game the other day, and they were just plastered, and they were, lo- I mean, just, we could, listen, we got to be careful. Why? Because here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him what? His fault between you and him alone, alone. Well, what happens? Well, notice what Jesus says. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Amen. Amen. He goes, what does that mean? Well, listen, number one, you've gained your brothers two ways. Number one, first, the problem's being cleared up. 
Perhaps you realized that he was right in some ways and you were, and he, and you realized that you were right in some ways, but nonetheless, you go to him and you say, hey, here's what's going on. And together, the, 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 the issue is resolved. The issue is resolved. That's, that's key, guys, because you've gained your brother. That's the first way. The second way you've gained your brother, uh, you've gained him is because you have not wronged your brother. Now listen, by going to others with gossip and a half, half the side of a dispute. Right? Why? Church, listen. No matter how thin you slice it, there's always two sides to every story. Amen? There's no matter what. So what happens? You gained your brother because you're not going in and you go, hey, listen, I've got to talk to you. I've got to talk to you. Here's what you did. You did this and I saw this and I hurt my feelings, right? And yet he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry, man. Please forgive me. Wow, I didn't even realize that. Listen, listen. But then you've already went home and you've told your wife and your kids heard. And guess what happens? You two are okay. But when that brother walks in, your wife's like this. And he feels it. And, and, and basically your wife's like, I don't talk to him anymore because he did, right? We, we just get that way. We get that way. We have to be so careful. We don't, you know what, listen, you can say, uh, man, I've got an issue, sweetie, but this is my issue. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work it out with God. I'm going to work it out with God. Guys, you know, I mean, you guys know the difference you know the difference. I mean, I can tell you one thing, okay? It's not necessarily saying I'm standing over here, just my opinion. But for many years, I played basketball City League, okay? And we had brothers on the team that we, we, we played City League, right? And one time, Nathalie was at the, and, and she'll tell you to this day, okay? This guy that I know real well, she knows real well. They're friends. We're friends with the family. He did something to me on the court. He yelled at me or something, you know, she's never forgotten that. She's still mad to this day. I'm like, what did he do? You guys, you guys realize that guys can get on the court. We can get, right? We can get, and we can just get all, all mad at each other. We can be, oh, come on. We'll just, I mean, we'll have words. But by the end of the game, we're like, hey, how's it going? Good game. And that's it. Women, are you like that? Mm-mm. 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 So we have to be careful, church. We have to be careful because the Bible says what? You go to him. If he hears you, I love that. If he hears you. That, that just says that you need to have a heart that's open. You need to have a heart that's open. Someone comes to you and go, hey, these are offending me. Half the time we offend each other. Can I get an amen on that? We do that. We don't even know. Here, here's the thing. Listen, Nathalie says that I am a super focused person, okay? When I have something and I'm focused, I don't see anybody else around me. I've got to do this. And, and somebody could take that as, well, I can't, you, that, that offends me because I saw Pastor Ben and he just walked by me in the grocery store and I'm like this, right? I, I've got to get my stuff. I'm just, I, I don't see you. We, we do that, church, we do that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <sighs> We're going to offend each other, but we just we come to them and we just get it right. 
If he hears you, you guys have an open heart. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? I didn't realize that. Oh, I forgive you. I forgive you. Done, right? He heard. But what happens if, what happens if the bro, what happens if the bro doesn't want to hear, right? Look at verse 16. But, he says, but if he will not hear, take one or two more that by every mouth, two or three witness, every word may be established. He says, listen, if the guy goes, ah, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do. I am going to see who I want to see. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what we're going to do. Well, now you got a problem, right? You went to your bro. He didn't hear you. He says, now, here's what I got to do. I got to take two or three. Now, listen, you don't take two or three of your gang who are going to gang up on him, right? That's not what the scripture is saying. The scripture goes, listen, who's my be? Listen, I'm going to take, I really don't like this guy. So uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take Santos. He's on my team. I'm going to take Josh. Those guys will back me up. And well, that's three of us and we'll get him. We'll get him. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be the muscle. That's not what it's saying. He's saying, if he doesn't hear you, take one or two more. Why? Because by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. The circle of people in the situation only becomes wider as of the offending party refuses to listen. Guys, church, listen, listen. If I, if I, if there's somebody, a brother who sins, okay, and I see it, he's sinned against me, it's pretty open, but Santos doesn't know anything about it, and Josh doesn't know anything about it, here's what the Bible says, why am I taking them? They don't know anything about it. I'm pulling them into a situation that that's not true. But if another brother says, yeah, you know what? I, you know what? I did see Brother Joe out there doing that. I saw him out there in the golf course. I saw him. That, okay, so we got to talk to Joe. Brother Joe's been playing golf on Sunday morning, should have been here. we got to go talk to him. You see, it's not just pulling people to confront. It's saying, okay, here's what we have to do. If he will not hear, if he remains what? Unrepentant, what do we do? Follow step two. Take two or more. Where does that principle come from? If you're taking note, jot this down. Deuteronomy 19... 15 says this, one witness shall rise against a man concerning the iniquity and any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter will be established. Very, very important, guys. When you take a witness with you, be careful to take someone who won't spread gossip. This also should be kept as quiet as possible in order to settle it quietly. This needs to be level-headed people who will not get into a heated argument. Then the next verse, we see what must be done if all else fails. Look at verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, what are we supposed to do? Tell it to the church. But if he even, but if he refuses to even hear the church, let him, to be, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. So we've gone to a brother, okay? We've gone to a brother. Hey, listen, here's what's going on. Here's what I've seen. And this is going to ruin. This is, listen, you, you can't do that. Nah, I'm fine, man. Me and God got this. Work it out. Work it out. And you take two or three. You go, hey, listen, we love you, man. We want you to come back. Listen, you're just, you're not walking with God. You're walking farther away and you're doing, you're right in the midst of the sin. What should we do? 
ah, you're crazy, then I am supposed to get up here and I'm supposed to just let you know, brother so-and-so, he is in an unrepentant state. I've come to him, the elders have come to him, and he's still not in, he doesn't want to repent. He doesn't want to. Guess what happens? From now on, guys, we need to treat him like a heathen or a tax collector. How are we supposed to treat heathen and tax collectors? Oh, well, get him, pastor. Get him. No, 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 no. Guys, if it's a heathen, we're, we're supposed to treat him with great love. I mean, the goal is to bring him to repentance. But here's the key. Here's, you guys ready? In church discipline, when we say, listen, you, you won't repent. I've got to protect the sheep. You are not welcome at Calvary Chapel anymore. Until you repent, until you get right with God, you're not welcome here. And I'd have my security, have them at the door. If they come and they come into church, they'd say, sorry, we love you, but you're not welcome here until you repent. You go, pastor, listen, they're just going to go down the street to another church. They don't care. Well, if church discipline is exercised right, then I am to call that pastor and say, hey, listen, pastor so-and-so, you've got a guy coming to your church. He's an unrepentant sin. He's doing this, 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 and this, and um, you just need to know. The way it was supposed to work biblically is that that pastor would go, hey, listen, you can't come here until you go get it right with Calvary Chapel. You can't come here. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work, okay? Guys, we're supposed to not have anything to do with him, not because we're mad at him or we think, I mean, he's a brother. Here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do in a way that, listen, we love you, but listen, you're, you're heading down a wrong path. Look at verse 18, guys. Assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, so not only is 20 a verse pulled out, a lot of people pull this verse out of context. We have to be, we have to be very careful. Why? Because we'll take this verse and go, I'm binding this, and I'm binding that, and I'm going, but it's not in context. He's still pulling it, right? What are we talking about, church? Church discipline. And he says, now, here's what he's saying to us. Jesus says, surely, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You go, what, what, what's this all about? If the process is done with love and compassion and hopes to bring the brother back, here's what happens, guys. According to the word, this is quite binding in the eyes of God. Even if, even if the unrepentant one goes to another church, we say, okay, this is what we're going to do. When the church says the unrepentant person is bound in sin, the church is saying what God says about the person. When the church acknowledges that, that the repentant person has been loosed from that sin, God goes, amen. That's really what it means. And then we get to the crux of it. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them in by my Father in heaven. Church, let me, let me okay, so you've got three verses that you can pull out of context. I mean, think about, li- listen, what if we pulled this verse out of context? If I say to you 
that if two of you agree on anything concerning or concern anything that they ask for, it will be done for my, by my Father in heaven. What if we took that verse and said, all right, anything we ask for, all right. We can pull it out and we can just ask for things that James says that we ask amiss with, with bad motives. That's not the text. The context is church discipline. Okay? He says, if two of you shall agree on earth, the promise applies to the issue of discipline discussed in the, in the previous verses. The two of you spoken here harks back to the two or three witnesses involved in step two of the discipline process. Now, look at verse 20. He says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I am there in the midst of them. Verse 20 shows us that the power they have is because why? Because Jesus is in the midst. Jesus is in the mix. Now in context, two or three, okay? Jewish tradition requires that at least 10 men, a minion, to constitute a synagogue or even hold a public prayer. Here, Christ has promised to be present in the midst of even a smaller flock, two or three witnesses, gathered in his name for this purpose. What purpose is that? For the purpose of discipline. The presence of God is not greater in groups of thousands than the group of three or three who are gathered in his name. The divine presence is what God, is what we should be seeking more than the vast numbers of people. One pastor writes this, quote, gathering in the name of Jesus means gathering according to his character and will and gathering in the manner Jesus would actually endorse. This is when Jesus is really present. He says, I am in the midst of them. The context, church discipline. Is it used? Hardly ever. But the purpose is to bring a brother who is a wayward brother back into the family. Let's close with this. Let's close with this. This passage, guys, this passage, it really deals with building a testimony in the context of church discipline. In the Jewish context, a proper, reliable testimony was critical. You couldn't just say, hey, we're going to kick you out of church. You did it because, again, you guys see the context. You see the context. The, the point was that the broken brother deciding to just do his own thing, contrary to the word of God's sin, right? That, that he, would feel, he would feel the burden of, wow, I want to be back with, right with God. Really? And that's really all of us, church. That's all of us. When we sin, we want to be right with God. That's the conviction. And our, the church needs to do that. But it also is a twofold process, Right? It also protects the members. It also protects the body. Because if we look at somebody and go, hey, this guy got away with it. And so I can, I can go to church and I can still have my fun and I can still sin. And I don't have to worry about what anybody says. I can still do what I want to do. I'm okay because that person got away with that person. So I'm good. I'm good. Well, then everybody's going to look at it and go, well, I guess it's all right. Guys, 
Remember this. If you take nothing else from this message, take this. Jesus is always with you no matter what. Jesus is always with you. If you're by yourself in the backyard and you're singing at the top of your lungs, when you're alone witnessing to unbelievers, guys, Jesus is there. If you're with three people, Jesus is there. Church, it's his presence we seek in the midst of our lives, not the number of people. Not the number of people. Jesus is always with us. That's the hope. That's the promise. As a matter of fact, Jesus told us, guys, in John 14, 15 through 18, listen to this. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commands, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So how is Jesus with us all the time? His Holy Spirit lives in us. We don't need a verse to go, hey, hey, we're three or more, four, or five of us are in a prayer meeting. Jesus is there. If you're having a prayer meeting right now in your heart by yourself, guess what? Jesus is there. Jesus is there. You see how context is so important? Very important. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you're here and that you love us so much. And we thank you, God, for your word, God, and the truth in your word. We thank you for this series, God, of just learning just a little bit of what you have for us. You're amazing, Lord. We worship you. We honor you. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.